in the work that I do, I, I don't really like saying a food is good or bad or right or wrong, but eating whole foods and eating real ass food was a big part of my healing journey. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast this week. On the show this week, we are discussing intuitive eating and disordered eating. I have a very special guest, Rachel Melinda, and she is an intuitive eating coach and holistic nutritionist. She also has a couple of other jobs, which she explains to us later in the podcast. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart because my journey through my eating disorder and then disordered eating and the many phases of that have been a huge part of my story and healing from that learning how to love food again learning how to love my body again repairing my body image have all been a massive part of my growth and coming into who i am today I know that I've alluded to my journey with disordered eating a couple of times on this podcast, but I've never really told the whole story. One of the reasons that I originally felt so connected to Rachel was because she did tell her story on her podcast and she was really open and real and vulnerable with it. And I felt so connected to her because of it. It's a really challenging thing to do. It's probably the scariest topic for me to talk about. And that's the reason why I haven't told the full story on here yet, but I want everybody to know that it's coming. I recently sat down and sort of outlined what all I would want to talk about, what all I have to say in regards to my journey and in regards to all of the things that I went through and how I was able to overcome it in a lot of ways, but also the things that I still struggle with. So I can promise you that in the next couple of months, I will be telling my whole story with my eating disorder. And it's going to be really hard and it's going to feel like the scariest thing that I think I've ever talked about. But I think that that's why I know I need to do it because there's the potential for somebody who needs to hear it to hear it and somebody that's struggling with similar things and can relate to feel more connected to my story. And that's my ultimate goal with this podcast. I want to connect with people that are struggling with similar things as I have and as I still am. There's a very wide spectrum of things that could be classified as disordered eating and diet culture, I think, really perpetrates these and sort of leads us to believe that being on that spectrum on some level is normal. No matter where you are on that spectrum today, I think that it's so important to listen to stories that are going to help you understand that and that are going to help you heal from that as well. In this podcast... I talk with Rachel about her story with her eating disorder and then subsequent disordered eating. And we talked about what made her want to heal and what her healing process ultimately looked like and how it's led to where she is today. We also talk about the concept of intuitive eating, which I think there are a lot of misconceptions about right now and we clear up some of those. So that's a really great discussion. We also talk about Rachel's relationship with movement and her philosophy on exercising lately. There's so many awesome topics in this podcast. 
And I'm really grateful to Rachel for coming on the show and sharing all these things with us. She is a lovely human being to hear from and learn from, so I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast. I'm a huge fan of yours. It's very exciting to have you um, on the show today. I would love if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, but also I would love to hear about your journey with disordered eating. And I'm interested if sort of you could start at the beginning, if there was a moment when you first had those thoughts about having an unhealthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, my name is Rachel Melinda. I'm a certified holistic nutritionist and an intuitive eating coach. So in the work that I do now, I still believe in nutrition and I teach nutrition, but it's not the primary focus of my work. So I'm really about healing the relationship with food. Um, we're going to get into it, but that was a big part of my story. And when I first started working with clients, that's what I noticed was the issue. I was like, people don't need to know more about nutrition. There's a lot of information out there and it's not a lack of that's making people suck. It's actually too much to the point where we've stopped listening to what feels good for ourselves, right? So I really help people to listen to their bodies, eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full, not stress about food and ultimately achieve or experience health through that avenue. And there's a ton of scientific evidence to back it up, but it's actually um, a much more sustainable way of achieving health as a whole. So my story started with an eating disorder when I was 13. Thankfully, it was very short-lived physically, but the mental effects stuck around for quite a while, probably I'd say 10 years or so. And I like to refer to this period of my life as like my 10-year career in disordered eating because I feel like that's all I was doing. Like, yeah, I was in school and all that, but it just took over my life. Like, I just remember always thinking about food, always thinking about burning my calories and working off food, eating aspartame filled everything. And it got worse when I went to university. There's new stressors. It's a whole new situation. And food was probably my way of coping. It's the only way that I really knew how. And so I would always binge. I lived with three other girls um, for a couple of years in university and I would always wait till they weren't home. And I would just like go to town on my cupboards and like end up with like a huge stomach ache and just uh, like I'd just be beside myself. I don't know when it all ended for me and when, when I tr- transitioned out of that. But I do remember one of my last binges being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't live my life like this. And I moved home shortly after with my mom and um, she was making more of my food and it was the summertime. So I was eating a lot more like wholesome, like seasonal fruits and vegetables. And I always like to give this example, but like we all know how delicious a cucumber or tomato is in the middle of the summer. And that, that really helps to start to build that positive relationship with food being like, whoa, food is actually a miracle and food can make me feel really good. This is way better than that aspartame crap I was eating. And around the same time I had uh, started CrossFit as well. And if you've ever been into a CrossFit gym, you'll know that there are no mirrors anywhere. So it's all about how does it feel for you today? And respecting the fact that some days you might progress and you're going to feel that difference. And other days you're going to be like, oh, why can't I do like 50 burpees like I did yesterday, like with these, but it's all about being compassionate with yourself and building your, your body up and making yourself feel good based on how it feels rather than it looks. So I'd say those two were, were the big turning points. Up until then, I re- never really knew I had an unhealthy relationship with food. That whole 10-year career in disordered eating, like I actually just thought I was being healthy. Mm. And that's what most of my clients who come to me now think they're doing as well. Oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying everything. I'm following all the meal plans and I'm exercising so much control over this and putting so much time into this. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you're stuck. That's why we're all stuck. And so now my work is to help people undo that and find a way of eating and living and moving that feels really good for them. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious if you could go back to the beginning a little bit 
And can you remember a moment when you first decided that my body isn't good enough or were you comparing or was there a moment when maybe you learned that a certain food wasn't good for you because someone told you not to eat it? Was there something that happened when you were younger to sort of start you off on this career in disordered eating? I think it was a few things. I think one of them was, I I mean, I've always been very tall. I'm 5'11". I don't know how tall I was then, but I was tall, like always in the middle for class pictures. And people, when they refer to tall people, they like to call them big. Oh, you're so big. And I'm like, Mm. don't tell me that. That's really messing with my head. So there was that. And I'm also a twin. And as a twin, you naturally compare everything, your body, marks in school, that sort of thing. And my twin has always been very naturally smaller bone than than I am. Mm. Um, and that was always really hard for me. It's just like, why? Like, she's eating way more than me and like eating what I call play food. It's my, my new word for junk food. Uh, she's eating way more of that food than I am. And yet she's like a twig. How is this happening? So that was really hard. And then like growing up, food wasn't really talked about in a negative way. My mom, like she would always like quite active in the gym. Like she'd say things like, Oh, I like, I got to do something about this, but I wouldn't say she was like a heavy dieter, but there was things that not to criticize my dad. Cause he didn't know better, but like before dinner, like we would be hungry. So we would grab chips or something and he'd be like, or just like any food. And he'd be like, don't eat like dinner's going to be ready soon. And if any of my family members end up listening to this, they're going to be laughing because my dad will be like, dinner's almost ready. And then it's like not done till like nine o'clock. And we're like, where's <laughs> but- And you're starving. <laughs> yes. But what that teaches you when, when you say like, don't eat that before dinner, it's saying whatever your hunger signals are telling you, they're wrong. And so it's teaching you that you can't trust yourself. And of course, now there's a shame of, oh my God, wh- why do I want the chips then? Like I must be so gluttonous and I must have no self-control. So I think there were things like that where maybe my parents thought they were doing good, but I perceived it in a different way, which is very common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think often we don't, because we're so caught up in this diet culture and the diet mentality, we don't even realize that we're perpetrating these ideas often. And I think that as children, we do absorb them so much. I always like hearing about people's stories um, with food as they're growing up, because I think it does inform a lot about the choices that we end up making in the journey that we end up going on when we're adults. Yeah, so, definitely. I'm wondering if you can take us a little bit deeper into that psychology of that moment when you were fed up enough to say, this is it. I have a history of disordered eating as well. And when I was in sort of this binge purge cycle, I had a couple of moments where I would tell myself, okay, this is the last time, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't until it finally was. I'm curious what the, what the scenario was, if there was something specific in that last moment when you said, okay, I'm going to make some serious changes, what that was for you. Yeah, that's a really good question. Because now thinking back, I did the same thing. Like it was always like, this is the last time. This is the last time. But that that time, for some reason, it just felt like this is the last, last time. Like, I don't know if I just done it so much that I started to remember the pain enough to be like, no, like that's not the answer. But binge eating is essentially like a mental disorder. Like you can't just interfere with that and say, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Like there's a lot of triggers. So maybe maybe it was like a bit of a feeling like I'm, I'm done with this, but it could have also been, I, I know it was towards the end of the school semester. So things were, well, I guess they were getting busier because of exams, but there was hope of like the summer coming and relaxation and a bit of de-stressing there. So maybe that could have been the turning point for me. Yeah. Again, with binge eating disorder, like I, you can't really say when you're going to stop. If someone's like, oh, I got to stop eating these chips. 
there's so many reasons why like someone might feel that or feel out of control around chips. But what I ultimately get them to do is bring it back to how you, how it makes you feel, right? And sometimes it takes us many times to eat those foods and actually remember, oh, like when I eat ice cream, I get super farty and my belly is just a, a gassy fest, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like maybe I'll pass or maybe sometimes, okay, I, I'll do that because I, I want the ice cream, right? But yeah, it's about listening to your body and then um, there's a whole other psychology about why we can't stop eating the chips. Yeah, that makes total sense. Can you tell us about your healing process and how it you evolved to the current relationship with food that you have? Because, you know, it doesn't obviously happen overnight. There are many phases to this. And um, maybe it started with you realizing, oh, food can be a really enjoyable, good thing. But what did your healing process look like? So I think it was a bit of turning back to real food or what I like to call as real ass food, which is also a funny term for me because in the work that I do, I don't really like saying a food is good or bad or right or wrong, but eating whole foods and eating real ass food, which is just whole foods, just a fun little term for it, was a big part of my healing journey because it took me away from those aspartame fake foods. And for the first time I felt nourished and I like started to fall in love with it and I just discovered how like delicious it was, right? Again, those tomatoes, those cucumbers in the middle of the summer. So I think it was that finding movement that I actually enjoyed. So I mentioned CrossFit, the no mirror thing, but like I actually loved it. I Up until recently, I've been doing it for six years. The main reason why I stopped is because I have a bit of a back injury that just was irritating it. So I just said, okay, I'm done with that. But it served me well all those times. Like, and I would go to like the 6 a.m. classes and people were like, how do you wake up at that time? I'm like, it's not easy, but like I love going and I know how good I'm going to feel come 7 a.m. So that's easy and there's a whole community feel to it. After that, I went to nutrition school, which I don't know if that helped or hindered it. I know. Yeah, I was I know wondering some- about that. If that at what point in your journey that came and if it hindered yeah. or helped you. Yeah. So that was after the whole like, well, during the whole crossover thing, but after those big healing moments, you know what? I felt like I was definitely crazy while I was in school. Like I was scared to go outside to breathe in the air because I thought it was like toxic and going to kill me. Oh my um, God. <laughs> but I also felt like, I felt so good because I learned how to understand my body and how to nourish it. Was it more restrictive? Yeah, but I think I I had overcome like the disordered eating. So I was eating like super well, like if you saw on paper sort of thing, but like I was still eating chips. I was still eating chocolate. Mm -hmm. I would go out on the weekends and this was in my like early to mid 20s. So like I was having drinks with friends. I was having um, nachos at the pub sort of thing. And that actually made me feel like a hypocrite because I'm like, what kind of nutritious am I if I'm doing this? But I actually feel like that kind of balance that I continue to follow today or just kind of embody today is what kept me sane throughout it. But I know that's not the case for everyone. I know some people go into nutrition school and become crazier and more obsessed about food than they were when they went into it. And as a result, actually end up embodying unhealthy habits. Yeah, I think you have to be really careful when you start to decide to educate yourself. And as long as you're coming from understanding what do I believe in now and what's going to serve me in my life? And now how can I take this information and enhance that? I think it's a very good thing. Um, I'm actually thinking about going back to school for nutrition um, in a month or so. And that's something, yeah, I'm excited. But that's something that I've definitely wrestled with because I know that it can be triggering for people that have a history of disordered eating. But I feel really confident that that's not going to be what it's like for me now and that I do understand this balance that I know where food fits in my life. And I'm just excited to gain more knowledge um, and be able to share that with people in a more professional way. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think you already know that going into it. And I'd say like having some like grounding support at home is helpful. Like, cause I would always come home to my mom and uh, my partner, Randy, and I would say things like, oh my God, we need to stop doing this. Or our kids are never going to go trick or treating. And then he was like, um, okay, like let's put a pause on that. Like he was the one that kind of like kept me level headed. And I was like, oh yeah, let's bring it back down to earth. Cause you are in a bubble when you're there. Like it's people speaking your same language and everyone agrees with you. And it's almost like a cult, not actually, but um, <laughs> it's very easy when you're in it to like really be in it. But yeah, I think it's just good to like stay grounded and of course, listen to how these things work for you and just take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. How would you characterize your relationship with food now? I'd say it's very good. I don't know if I like, but I I don't know what that means. I don't really measure the success of it. I guess the way I measure it for myself or my clients is that like, I don't think about food 24 seven. It doesn't consume my every thought. I'm not stressing about it. I can eat a salad and because I genuinely want to, and then I can have a pizza because I genuinely want to as well. And I don't feel guilty after eating. So I think that that level of freedom around food is how I measure my level of success around food. I don't know if you would classify yourself as having had an eating disorder or disordered eating. It, you know, it's all a spectrum. So who knows anyway, if you're like in the category or not, but I've heard some people say that if you have an eating disorder once that you'll always have it. I don't know if I agree with that. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that or if there are certain things that make you remind you that, oh, I, you know, I did struggle with this in the past or if you genuinely feel like you've overcome it and moved past that. I used to think that, I mean, like I mentioned, like the physical effects, they can be healed pretty fast, or at least in my unique case scenario, they did. That might not be the case for everyone. And that just means like I gained the weight that I needed to, to be out of the, the anorexic stage, basically. But yeah, the mental effects stuck around for a long time, but I also did a bit of healing work through that. Like I did go to therapy after my eating disorder and I don't remember a lot that we talked about because I was like, I was just told that I had to go and I was like, okay, I'll go. And we always got ice cream after. And, but I remember some themes that we touched upon and none of it was about food. So I think we did a lot of unpacking Mm -hmm. of that early on. Yeah. Through the years, like I've just done a lot of healing on my own. And so yeah, I don't even, I don't associate myself with my eating disorder at all anymore. Sometimes I forget that I even had one. I, I don't know if everyone would say that who has experienced it. Mine, because mine was a bit more short-lived, but it was the disordered eating that lasted a long time. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that everyone's journey is obviously different as well. Um, and the way that they maneuver through that and then grow from it after. So I'm not sure you can say for sure black or white. I would love to hear about your job and the coaching that you do with your clients and the sorts of people you work with and what you're helping them through. I love my job. I have many jobs. I work part-time with a company, Joyous Health. So I do like marketing and email automations over there, which is in line with my previous career life. I did advertising, but for like Popeye's chicken. So this is a nice happy <laughs> contrast. That's hilarious. So ironic. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, so funny. yeah. So I work with Joyce Health and then I have two, what I call Rachel Melinda days. This is a Rachel Melinda day right now. On those days, I might be recording for my podcast, the Fill Your Cup podcast. I might be working with clients. Um, I do one-on-one consultations, but all online. So it's either through Skype or FaceTime or the phone. I don't just do like one-off consultations anymore. This might be the little page you want to rip out for your book in the future. But um, I just found that it wasn't very well effective for my specific practice. But I think for anyone, like it's really hard to just solve everything in a one-off consultation and then be like, okay, go on and apply these changes and like, good luck, be awesome with it. Mm -hmm. You really need that consistency and that support. So 
Now what I do with my clients is I work with them on probably like a four to six month basis, sometimes longer, where we start with that initial consultation to get to know them, review the whole health history, address primary concerns, that sort of thing. And then every two weeks we're meeting up chatting online, covering a different theme with unraveling disordered eating. So in the first session, we're talking about breaking up with the diet mentality, which is where a lot of people who struggle with disordered eating tend to live. So we're looking at like, how has dieting served you or like, hasn't it? How does it make you feel? How's, how has it consumed your social life? You know, just kind of taken away from bits of your life. The second week, we're talking about understanding your hunger signals. How do you listen to your hunger? What does hunger feel like? Um, what does it feel like to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full? How does that make you feel more satiated and enjoy food? And another week we talk about making friends with food. So exploring the foods that you generally enjoy, what happens when you eat those? And then of course, attacking the quote unquote scary foods. So that week I actually get people to do an exercise where they bring their quote unquote scary food into the house. Maybe that's chips or Oreos or ice cream and eat it until they don't care about it. And I don't put a time limit on it. And it seems very backwards. That's a nutritionist to say, go on, go and bring in the Oreos. But what happens during that process, the whole point of it is to neutralize that food. Because right now they've called those chips, they're bad food. And when we do that, we put that food on a pedestal and we start thinking about it all the time. All of a sudden it's like the forbidden fruit and we all want the forbidden fruit, right? And eventually you might quote unquote cave and have it and like engage in what's called last supper eating. When we start eating it, like it's the last time we're going to have it because diet starts fresh tomorrow, right? And that happens again and again. So instead, what we're doing through this process, we're neutralizing that food. I'm saying eat the Oreos whenever you want. No guilt, no time frame of how long you can do this for. What they end up discovering is that like eventually Oreos are so not exciting. And the whole theme of that is that when you give yourself unconditional permission to have all these foods when you want, you actually don't care about them as much. But it's when we say, no, this food is bad or I can't have that food that's when we want it more and start obsessing about it. So it's the summer right now. So um, I am going through ice cream a bit more, but in the winter when I had it and I, and I do typically keep it on hand because I like it. I mean, I can go months without eating it. Cause I'm just like, eh, it's there if I want it. But like, realistically, you're not going to want ice cream every second of the day. <laughs> you just won't. Totally. I, ice cream is one for me. It always has been one of those scary foods, but man, I remember like in the last couple of years when I finally decided it's okay if everyone's going out for ice cream, I'm going to get ice cream too. And I'm going to get two scoops if I want it. And it's fine. Since making that decision, it's crazy. I actually have ice cream and you know, I would say ice cream is one of my favorite foods, but I have it once every two months because there are nights when my husband will ask me, Hey, do you want to go for ice cream? And I'm like, Eh, that just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't even yeah, sound I don't feel great like it right now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But some yeah. days I say, yeah, that sounds amazing. And I go mm -hmm. and I love it and it's mm -hmm. super enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I feel for people when they actually say that, because sometimes when you actually say that, Oh, I don't really feel like that. Some people are like, Oh, are you on a diet? It's like, <laughs> why can't I just honor how I'm feeling and say that? But I think it's just where society's at. We're, we're kind of taught that like, Oh, and in, in order to be able to say no to something, you must be exerting so much self-control and willpower right now. But it's like, no, when you scrap all that and just listen to what you want on a, in a given moment, again, you're not going to want ice cream 24 seven. Anyway, so I work with them for a four to six month period. And so that's my client consultations. I do some brand partnerships. What else? I end up doing a lot of things. I was doing kombucha workshops for a while. I turned that into an online course. So I end up doing a lot of different things, but I love that. Like I love doing different things day in, day out. It keeps it exciting. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm sort of the same where I have like a bunch of little pieces going on and my days always look different, but I'm kind of obsessed with that. And so, yeah, it, it totally works for me. Um, I'm curious if you have a client who doesn't understand how to listen to their hunger signals, sometimes with clients in the gym, even 
Um, you know, I'm talking with them about hunger signals and they're unsure if they're over or under eating. And I start talking about, okay, well, you know, listen to your level of hunger. I might talk to them about the hunger scale. Sometimes they look at me and they just say, I, but I don't feel hungry, but I don't know what that point is when I'm full. How do you address that with people? Well, what I would start doing is I'd be addressing how they've honored hunger in the past. So a big reason why people can't experience the sensation of hunger is because a lot of us are clock eaters, as in we mm-hmm. eat by the clock. So it's 7 a.m. breakfast, 12 p.m. lunch, dinner, say 6 p.m. and snacks in between and maybe one after sort of thing. So we don't really give ourselves the chance to experience that hunger um, and what that feels like. But if you actually do kind of write it out, you might be surprised to find that hunger shows up at different times. It's been really interesting for me to scale back from CrossFit because I was always a breakfast person. I was so ravenous after CrossFit. And now I'm just like, you know what? I'm not hungry first thing in the morning. And so I don't deliberately intermittent fast, but sometimes that just happens. I'm like, I'm not hungry until 10 or 11. I might start my day with a coffee with um, like a collagen creamer of sorts. So yeah, it can be tricky at first though. And another thing that we've been taught to do is to suppress our hunger. We've been taught that hunger is bad. So we're taught to chew gum or drink bubbly drinks, coffee, chug water, all these things to suppress our hunger because hunger is so bad, even though it's a biological need, just like peeing is a biological need. Through that process, we might've actually suppressed that sensation of, of hunger. So during that process, when you're starting to rediscover it again, it's important to be patient and just like look for those different cues. It might not just be looking at like hunger on a scale of one to 10 in your gut, but like, how does it feel throughout your body? I get people to look at like how they feel in their head. Do you feel dizzy or lightheaded? That's, I know for me, that's a cue that I'm hungry. And I might sometimes feel that before I feel my stomach. So we Mm -hmm. learn how to experience hunger throughout the whole body. That's a great point. Can you tell us what intuitive eating is? Yeah. So we were all born intuitive eaters. We ate when we were hungry. We stopped when we were full and we cried when we were hungry because we couldn't just eat. It's really honoring the body's inner wisdom. Our body is smart. And I like to give the example of a thermometer. Our our body has its own uh, thermometer within it that's balancing everything. When you go outside and on a cold day, you might get goosebumps because your skin's trying to like trap the air to like not let any in. And when it's super hot out, your pores open so you can sweat, right? Like, and our body's doing that without us even realizing. So same sort of thing with eating and and hunger. Like it's going to tell us when it needs fuel and when it doesn't. When we're in a state of stress, it's going to tell us that, oh, you know what? Like hunger isn't important right now. It's going to shunt that blood blood flow away from our digestive system to our extremities because we're in that fight or flight mode. Um, Whereas if we're in our rest and digest, we're going to be in a better state to eat and digest and absorb those nutrients. So yeah, it really really is about honoring the body's inner wisdom, trusting its brilliance and that it knows best. I think a lot of people panic when they hear about intuitive eating because they assume that they're going to eat whatever the hell they want. They're going to end up eating junk food all the time um, and they're going to gain weight if that's something that they've been struggling with and restricting. Can you explain why that's actually not what intuitive eating is? Yeah, I forgot like a huge part of the definition. And that is that it isn't about eating what you want when you want sort of thing. It's not just like a free for all, because you are still honoring those hunger signals. So yeah, I think a lot of people feel like it's like throwing in the towel. But it's again, it's not about that, because you're still tuning in to say like, what does my body need right now? By saying, okay, I'm going to have that chocolate muffin. Cool. And move on from that moment. You, you can do that sort of thing. 
And then you might find that you want like a salad after and that's cool too. But yeah, I do feel like that's sort of a misconception right now that like intuitive eating is almost on the opposite end of anti-diet culture. Someone brought up this question to me a while ago, just how like diet culture was the issue. And now like maybe anti-diet culture is an issue as well because they're both such extremes. One is saying like, screw all the food rules and everyone, and the other one's saying like, welcome all the food rules, right? So like, how do we find that middle ground? But again, it's, everything's with regard to hunger and fullness and listening to your body. And when you do that, you're not going to want chips day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I think that one thing I've experienced is that intuitive eating is much easier and for me more, more successful. And I actually fuel my body the way it feels like it wants to be fueled. If I'm eating those real foods, if I'm going for a lot more of the processed foods and the refined sugars and things, it feels like it throws me off to the point where like my brain is telling me you want more sugar, but my body doesn't feel good with that. And so then it gets a little bit muddled for people that are trying to get into this intuitive eating concept. I think, yes, you need to have grace with yourself to understand that it's okay to eat whatever it's fine, but it's going to be easier to dial into those signals if you're going and targeting the real whole foods. Well, I think here, what I would say to you is like, it's not wrong or bad to eat those foods, but again, pay attention to how those foods make you feel. If you can say, you know what, I don't really feel that great after eating refined sugar, you can remember that. And you, you can say, you know what, I'm going to steer clear of refined sugar. And that's not a bad thing. It's not like a, a diety thing because it's on your terms. Mm-hmm. And when it's on your terms, everything's a lot easier because it's not because it's it's up to you. It's not someone else saying you can't do this because when someone says you can't do this, you want to do the opposite. But you're saying, <laughs> no, I know how my body feels. It doesn't feel good when I have this food and I want to feel good. So I'm going to avoid it. And that's what I'm doing to honor how I want to feel. Mm-hmm. I just want to circle back to that point you made a bit ago where you were saying that Sometimes it's people look at you funny when you make that decision that you know is intuitive and that you know isn't coming from a place of dieting or from an unhealthy place. It's interesting in that we're in two minds, right? In some ways, we're kind of obsessed with dieting, but we also know that's not good. So then I feel like we kind of project that onto our friends. And so we panic because they're dieting, something must be wrong. It's just a really touchy thing. And we're, we're not good at navigating that yet, especially in groups. Yeah, I think that we need to be better at supporting each other in that. Yeah, it's it's really tough. And I find that usually it takes one person to start that off. And it's like a weird, icky conversation. And I go through this with my clients too. Like, they're like, oh, I was at a bridal shower. And the bride was talking about like how much weight she's gained or how much weight she has to lose. And she's smaller than me. So that made me feel this way, right? And we don't realize how those comments can affect other people. So part of my education that I do with my clients is talking about like how to be more mindful of your own language, right? Mm -hmm. Recognizing that other people are listening and teaching them how to transform the conversation too. So if someone is saying, oh, like I, like I look so fat today or, oh, this ice cream is going to go straight to my hips. Like just change the conversation. This ice cream is going to go straight to my hips. You know what? I had this really awesome ice cream flavor last week. You know, like just, it it like stops them in their tracks because they're looking to rally with you. And then you're like, no. I'm not doing this. I'm not engaging with it. Intuitive eating is getting bigger, thankfully. And so I think people are becoming more aware of how our negative self-talk affects ourselves and affects other people. And I think just with time, we're going to get better with that now. It's so funny because people know that like, this is my world. They'll be talking to me and I hear them like correct themselves mid-sentence because they're like, oh, it's it's Rachel I'm talking to. I'm like, (laughs) it's cool. I'm not judging you, but like, I'm happy you caught yourself. Yeah, that's good. 
I want to switch gears a little bit. Something that I've seen you talk about on social media and on your platform, some is finding a balance between understanding when to really dive into something and when to go, 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 and when you need to pull back and you need to sort of honor that you're doing a little bit too much. How do you, how have you been able to find that balance? Are there any things that happen or ways that you feel that make you realize, okay, I'm doing too much in my life and I just need to dial back a little bit? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a go, go, go person. Like I've always had that like overachieving nature. I actually got to the root of that in my last therapy session. It's very interesting, but that's like a whole other podcast episode. Ah, um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I can touch upon it if you want, but it's just kind of a big tangent. But basically like from a young age, like I never felt enough in a way, which started for a certain reason. And so from a young age, I've always learned to strive and like strive harder and work harder, which helps to propel me forward. But in a way it tells me that like nothing is ever enough, right? Mm which is why I did a post recently about like, no, we need to celebrate our achievements. But we came across that theme being like, yeah, Rach, you never celebrate, like you never stopped to say, I did it. I'm proud of myself. Um, my therapist made me do that and it was really cool. But yeah, so working on my own and I mean, juggling a lot of things, it's very easy to work all the time, especially when you really enjoy it. So I have reached that state of burnout many times. And I know when I get there, I don't have the energy to do anything and I just want to isolate myself. So when I start feeling that coming on and what that might feel like is just pure exhaustion, lack of motivation, lack of interest in, in what I'm focusing on, I say, you know what? It's time to rest. Even today, like I'm not feeling myself. I was like, you know what? I'm going to step away from my computer today and do more of like my recipe creation today and put on some good tunes. And then, oh, I'm tired in between that. I'm just going to go lay down for a bit. Even though I'm like, oh my God, I only have two Rachel Melinda days. I'm wasting them. But I know that if I don't take that time to fill my cup and take care of myself, then I'm not going to be able to do what I, what I love to do. So I'm a huge advocate of rest now and just recognize that overworking yourself doesn't really get yourself anywhere. Yeah, definitely. Because when you reach that stage of burnout and you can't do anything, that's not productive either, right? Exactly. Yeah. Are there any other things besides just sort of trying to listen to your body and resting when you need to rest? Are there any other things that you do um, or that you work into your schedule to make sure that you don't reach that point of burnout? I do try to narrow in on my sleep. I know when I don't get a good quality sleep, I'm kind of a zombie the next day. Mm-hmm. I don't overbook myself. So I used to like always be like the yes woman that was like friends like, do you want to do dinner this night? Do you want to hang this night? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I look at my schedule for the week. I'm like, crap, I don't want to do any of this. After a work day, I just want to go home. I want to make a nice dinner and just chill. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now I've actually honored that. And I'll tell friends that I actually like don't really love booking stuff during the week. It really drains me. So like, let's book something for the weekend. Yeah. Setting boundaries, I think is huge for that. And just like getting to know what works best for you in that way. Yeah, that's so important. I can definitely relate to that as well. It's hard after a full work day. I don't know if there are some people that can just do it and maybe they just have a, a bigger capacity. Maybe they're more extroverts than I, I think, am. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like the extroverts that love it, but even yeah, though they can just launch right from work into their yeah. like evening out with friends and that no is way. not me. <laughs> yeah, I think we're introverts. We were charged by being alone. So we need that time. I'm curious if you can think of something that you've learned in the last year. I'd say like listening to your gut. I tell my clients like to trust themselves and and what my mom likes to say, trust and surrender, trust that things will work out and surrender to the fact that you don't have control over them. Really sitting with that more. And yeah, so with trusting myself, it means not turning to others for external opinions so much, Mm -hmm. um, which I have a tendency to do. Like I just 
I would ask the bus driver, I'm like, how do you know when you've met the one? Like, like just like, oh my gosh, how do I know that? Like I'm in the right job. I would just ask everyone. I want to know their experiences. And then in a way I was kind of looking for evidence of what that means for me. I don't know. I just had like a big moment this year where it's just like, you know what? No one else knows your situation. You know your situation best and you know what you need. So honor that. Say no more often. (laughs) Saying no is so freeing. I want to talk about your podcast. It was one of the shows that really inspired me in starting mine. I loved that you shared your story. I felt like there was so much truth and honesty in it and what you were sharing and then the people you were bringing on. Um, So I'm interested in what what was the reason? Why did you start the podcast? What was your goal for it? Thank you so much. That's like super sweet. And I really appreciate that. And so exciting that that inspired your podcasting journey. Kudos to you. Yeah, I've been studying podcasts for like two years before that, as in just obsessed with podcasts. And I would listen to them from a like consumer way, but also in like a critical way and to see like w- what is really resonating, what kind of um, when this person asks the questions, why am I really engaged and mm. what kind of style do I, do I want? So I knew I want to start a podcast, but I, I wanted it to mean something. And I had talked to some friends about starting one before. And I think people are just like excited being like, yeah, let's start it. I'm like, no, whatever I do is going to be super intentional. Like, because I don't have a lot of time for my business right now. And so mm. I, I made sure first that I could commit to doing it consistently. But yeah, it was actually one day I was walking to work at Joyous Health and I was trying to think, I'm like, what do these people need that struggle with disordered eating or diet culture, that sort of thing? And from my clients, like what I know is that emotional eating or disordered eating often starts from people not putting themselves first and not filling their cup. And so once I said that, I was like, oh, these people just need to fill their cup. And I was like, oh, the Fill Your Cup podcast. And I was like, so excited. I was on fire. I remember telling people, I'm like, so I have this idea. I want to call it the Fill Your Cup podcast. Some people were like, oh yeah. And other people were like, "Mm, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I wanted to basically talk about the many ways we could go about filling our cup and putting ourselves first to offset that disordered eating that can often, or emotional eating that can often come from it. So it's been so fun. I mean, maybe, you know, from experience too, like, but sitting down for your first podcast episode, the first solo episode, you're like, oh my God, this is (laughs) terrifying. But like now I get behind the mic and I'm like excited. Like I don't have anyone in front of me for solo episodes, but I feel like I can see my audience and it's been super transformative for my business too, because before that I was blogging on a regular basis, but I would get like one comment once in a while on my blog. I'm like, okay, maybe people aren't reading blogs anymore. Or maybe I just started blogging too late. So once I started the podcast, I noticed people share it more often. They're sharing it in their Insta stories. They're leaving reviews, um, sending me DMs saying like, oh my God, this episode changed my life or said exactly what I need to hear. And I'm like, whoa, this is where I need to put my energy. And this is how people consume content now. I know that's how mm-hmm. I consume content. Like I hardly ever read a blog now unless it's for a recipe. It's been really great. We're going on to season two this September. So we have some awesome guests and topics lined up. And yeah, it's been a fun ride. Do you have an ultimate dream for it? I don't know. Like I do, like it's weird because like with Joyce Health, we started a podcast there and they're very much, very adamant on, it's just an, an avenue to talk about some things that they're already talking about. Whereas I'm like, no, I want this to reach a big audience. Um, I look up to the Almost 30 podcast. I don't know if you listen to them, but like mm-hmm. I love how their main thing is a podcast. I don't know if I'd want to get to that level because I still like doing everything else that I do, but I love the idea of doing events. You're essentially building a community on another platform. So I do have big dreams for it. I just don't know what yet. I love that. How do you think that women can support each other more? Being less judgy. 
Mm -hmm. I think we live in like a very judgmental culture. Like, and this isn't just women. It's just, we're so critical of other people and what they do and how they live their life. How does that affect our life anyway? And typically when you're criticizing someone, you're pointing out something that you don't like about yourself. It's very interesting because sometimes I'm like, okay, I don't like that. But like, what does that say about me? I, I I don't know if I can get to the root of that. So yeah, less judgment, less comparison and competitiveness and more like supporting each other. I do feel a bit guilty of this when starting my business, but I feel like I was a bit like early on in the intuitive eating thing, like at least for like the holistic nutrition world. And when I started seeing other nutritionists being like, I'm also an intuitive eating person. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm the only intuitive eating nutritionist. You can't be one. And I was like, wait, Rach, you just entered an industry of thousands of holistic nutritionists and that didn't intimidate you. So like, whatever, there is enough work for everyone to, to go around. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now I'm all about just, I've made great friends with those intuitive eating nutritionists as well. And we support each other and share events and talk to each other about like things that we're struggling with. And it's actually made like a really awesome community and a place to bounce ideas off of. Cool. And that's how we're going to make bigger changes. You can only touch so many people But once we have a community of people that are thinking about similar ideas and talking about similar messages, that's when it becomes bigger. And that's when you start to see big changes, changes in diet culture and and some of those bigger things. So yeah, yeah, totally. uh, I think it's such an interesting point that often when we're criticizing other people or when we're comparing, it's reflective of an insecurity in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we do it all the time. You're right. In every single aspect, it is so easy to be judgmental of other people. It's one of the reasons why I'm so big on empowering people to start to understand what's your journey. Who are you? What's your true self? What aligns with your journey? What is your body telling you? What lights you up? Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing or what lights them up. Support them in that. Great. But live your own life and own that. Totally. Yeah. That's resonating hard right now. And I think I live in comparison land. Like I've always compared, as I mentioned from a young age and like on Instagram, it doesn't make it easy. Everyone getting married and engaged. And I'm like, Oh my God, why am I not doing that? And like, it makes me feel like I'm behind, but it's like, no, like you don't want that yet or you're not ready. So like honor that. And that's okay. Like it really is important that you are happy and that your cup is full. Yeah, definitely. Summers in Toronto are obviously the best time of the year. The best. Um, Kind of make winters worth it-ish. But I'm curious about anything fun or spontaneous that you've done this summer. I've had a wicked summer just like exploring new things. So as I mentioned, I stopped doing CrossFit um, a couple months ago. And that was partially to cater to a back injury. But I was like, you know what? I don't think we're meant to be like hamsters running on a treadmill or in these dark gyms all the time. I mean, I say that and and I do love the gym, but... I was like, I want to do some stuff and like get outside. Like I want to have fun. And so um, I started doing stand-up paddle boarding and making the most of the beach here in Toronto. I bought rollerblades and I'll go like rollerblading down by the beach. I have friends that live nearby that have dogs. I'm like, can I take your dogs for a walk? Like, I'm just like <laughs> having a lot of fun, like moving my body in a different way. We just had a cat inception. Our listeners that was so good. Very, very on brand for both of us. Yeah, so I'm just having a lot of fun, like cottaging as well. I come from divorced parents, and this is going to sound bratty to say this, but they both have cottages. So like making the most of that. And yeah, it's just been really great. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it is so important to try new things, try moving in new ways during the summer. I just went water skiing last week and it was freaking the best workout, but the most fun thing ever. Yeah. Did you get up? 
Yeah, I did. Wow. I had done it when I was a kid. So I did okay. it forever ago when I was younger, but I haven't done it in 10 years. So I oh, just wow. did it again last week. And yeah, I was able to do it and it was a blast. And it just made yeah. me think like more of this, more of the outdoor, fun. fun stuff where I'm challenging yeah. myself in a new way. That's the stuff that really lights your fire versus the same exercises in the gym. I mean, I'm a trainer. So like, I love the gym. I think it does amazing things for people, but yeah. there's something to be said about changing it up and reconnecting with movement. That's fun for you. Yeah. And just getting that diversity, right? It's just great to make the most of like what we have around us. And there's so many benefits to being outside by the water, lots of calming benefits and in nature around forestry and leaves and that sort of thing. This is a question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. It's one of my favorites. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning? Oh my God. Everything. I love the morning. I was actually joking about this with other people recently. And lately I hate bedtime. I'm almost like a toddler where I get cranky and I'm like, man, I don't want to go to bed. Like, cause I'm just, I love life so much that I'm like, I want to soak up everything. Like I do love sleep. And whenever I wake up and I realize I was sleeping, I'm like, oh, this is so cozy. But a new day is so exciting. Like again, every day is different for me work-wise. So it's like, ooh, what do I get to get into today? What kind of foods am I going to have? Not that that's my first thought anymore, but like food is huge for me. I, I love food. So the opportunity to enjoy delicious foods and to spend time outside and to do work that I love and see people that I love, like it's so enriching. It's not hard to get me out of bed. <laughs> Morning person through and through. Totally, totally. That's good. If people are interested in learning more about you, connecting with you, finding your podcast, how would they go about doing that? So I'm on Instagram at Rachel M. Melinda. Actually, most social platforms at Rachel M. Melinda. Don't forget the extra M in there. And then the Failure Cut podcast. There's a new podcast every week, except for, well, it depends when this is going out, but we're taking a little summer break back in September. And then rachelmmelinda.com, which is getting a very exciting revamp. So who knows? It might actually be revamped by the time that this is out and you're listening to this, but there's tons of blogs and recipes and more information about me and how to work with me over there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of How Do You Feel? Please rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends, help spread the word about this podcast. If there's ever anything that you want to hear about on the show or anybody that you want to hear from, I would love to know about it. You can find me on Instagram at KCMZav. You can shoot me a message or an email, and I would love to hear from you. Remember, How Do You Feel releases an episode every Monday morning, so be on the lookout for those to start off your week on the right note. And I think that's all from me this week. Have an awesome day, guys. Make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.